Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello, welcome. We are live on Facebook. We're also live Asia Tech Podcast in the Asia Tech Podcast Studio. My name is Graham Brown. This is Pitch Deck Asia. Today we're talking about fintech. A whole host of my esteemed guests today. I'm going to be stepping off and let you guys take it over because I think you've got a lot to offer. We're going to go deep into the story and learn a bit about our friend here, Nicholas Goal. Nicholas, welcome to the show. Thank you, Graham. It's great to have you here. We're going to talk about your startup, your journey, why you're here, how you got into this, and also the challenges that you've overcome to help us do that. Leading the conversation, Ned Phillips, how are you doing? I'm good, Graham. How are you? It's very good. And this is the first one we've done face-to-face. That's the first of many, hopefully. It did. Last time it was kind of uh, on a line between Japan and uh, Bangkok. So finally Uh, you're here. It's different face-to-face, isn't it? And as well, I mean, I think obviously you've got a familiar name to some of the listeners, which is great. Um, you, you've sat at all sides of the table as yep. well. You've been an investor, angel investor. You're a startup founder. You've been in the corporate world, yep. e-trade as well. You you know, everything that's possible on that particular triangular table, right? So you're going to offer different perspectives today, right? Yeah, look, I think as, uh, I think all of us here have the different experiences in that. And yeah. uh, I think when you end up being a founder, particularly, you, you definitely draw on all of those. So hopefully we can chat with Niklash and Asmol and uh, Get a good overview of all the good points and uh, some of the more challenging ones as well. Excellent. Last but not least, the man with the voice for radio, Asmol Hack. How are you doing? Hi, Graham. I'm good. Thanks it, for inviting me. Yeah, it's good to have you back here as well. I mean, you do have a history with radio. I don't want to drop you in it, but you have been here in radio before, haven't you? So, Yeah, that's it- right. And, uh, you know, it's always fun to be back in radio. I think there's something about um, the, 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 sort, the sort of connection you can just have with using just your voice yeah. and nothing else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I do enjoy that part of it. And of course, you know, professionally, I'm quite far uh, away from, um, from, from radio on a, on a day-to-day basis because yeah. you know, what I do is I practice law and, uh, you know, I'm also a closet entrepreneur uh, <laughs> because, you know, like Batman, uh, Batman. I practice day, law by day and, you know, Run a startup by night. <laughs> in the Cape. <laughs> in the Cape, exactly. So. And i uh, got, got to say, there's one thing that fascinates me. I'm always impressed by yourself, Asmore, is that obviously with your radio background, it's great. But also, the most qualified lawyer I think I've met. I know I'll drop you in it, but I think we've got to go. We've got to go there, right? Just <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. A bit later, maybe. Let's right, focus right. back <laughs> on Ned and, and Nicklish. Nicklish is a... That's why you're here, right? Yeah. Welcome to the show uh, as well. Thanks, Asmore. Great to be here. Um, so great. Well, Graham, thank you so much uh, yeah, for no, uh, introing us. I'm sitting here in the studio with you chaps. And if you're watching on the, the video feed, I'm the one in the corner sort of looking after the, the video to make sure you look great, all of you, and sound great as well. So I'm just going to back off and shut up and let you take it over. So Ned, over to you. Thank you very much. Um, Let's go. It's pretty rare I've been uh, sitting with uh, uh, four people, one who's a Batman a uh, radio commentator, uh, legal, and Niklesh, who's done a whole range of uh, interesting stuff we're going to find out about. And Graham, I think technically we're sitting in four of us, so we're all in the corner. So you may have confused yeah. some of our listeners there, but uh, Graham's the one who uh, actually put all this to, together. So, you know, I think the three of us, uh, we were chatting beforehand, and uh, as Graham says, don't just read out a list of questions. Well, as luck would have it, I don't have particular questions. We wanted to really have a chat, I think, between the the three of us here We've had a uh, quite a varied uh, idea on what entrepreneurship is, what being a founder is, uh, Niklesh's experience in private equity, so on both sides there. So I think what we want to do today is really just get, have a chat about and use your journey in what you've built at Valdius Capital uh, and get an understanding there maybe in the first few minutes. And uh, I'm sure once you give us some of the excitement, some of the pain, some of the reality of what building a startup is, uh, we'll be able to uh, talk further about that. So, Niklas, it would be you know, great just to hear a little bit about uh, why you left the cushy, wonderful job of <laughs> – I always get asked, why did you leave the corporate, wonderful job of, of corporate world? And then I talk to people in corporate world, and they're like – Wow, I just want to be an entrepreneur. And then, uh, so it's, it's always interesting to get both perspectives. So Niklesh, uh, you mentioned you, you did private equity in Vietnam. You've done a range of stuff. Yeah. We'll be love to hear a bit more about it. Sure. Thanks. Great question. And, you know, while Asmul was talking about radio, I thought this sounds great because I love giving long winded answers to short questions. <laughs> okay. So, we're going to be here all day, people. Yeah. Hang tight. Graham's got to get ready to switch off my mic. <laughs> 
No, I think starting off, I started off my career uh, doing private equity in India. Um, this was growth capital, writing 10 to $15 million checks to fast-growing uh, companies. And doing that for a few years, you realize that um, all the fun is on the other side. It's it's the guys who are raising the money, who are effecting the capital, growing the companies. And once you've written the check, even though all investors claim to add a lot of value, what you're really doing is, is sitting in the window seat while somebody else is driving the car. And... Um, Southeast Asia was growing very fast. Vietnam has always been touted as the next tiger nation. And I got a chance in 2011 to uh, jump countries, move to Vietnam, working for one of the largest conglomerates, uh, raising a lot of capital and, and growing businesses. Um, so I moved to Vietnam, uh, jumping ship to the corporate side. Uh, we raised over a billion dollars from some of the biggest names in the world, Goldman, KKR, uh, to deploy that capital. And while it was fun, I quickly realized that... Uh, being an Excel monkey, as we call <laughs> us private equity folks, uh, it's very easy to create a billion-dollar business on Excel, but not so much in real life. Isn't it funny how easy Excel money is, right? It's this oh, yes. wonderful, magical thing, right? I wish uh, creating businesses was as easy as pulling them on, on an Excel projection. Yeah. And so then after you'd uh, spent your billion dollars of Excel money, uh, what made you realize that it was time to do your own thing? Yes, so a friend and I were, were looking to do something and what we agreed upon was till the time we get a billion dollar idea, let's start doing something small. So we started an advisory business in Southeast Asia focused on consumer and tech sectors, helping them just raise money from private equity investors and VCs. We saw that there were a lot of founders who had good businesses but did not often realize how fundraising happened. So that was the first dip into entrepreneurship as you can say so. And then a couple of close friends uh, from my hometown were setting up Validus. So I formed, I joined the founding team to help grow Validus Capital. And here we are. Validus is now three years old. We are the number one online lending marketplace in Singapore and going regional very soon. And, uh, and to bring in Asmo here as well, I think it's this reality that how we, it's never easy to raise money. But I think it's people don't know what they don't know, which is the biggest part of it. I mean, uh, ourselves, we've just, we've been through part of it as well as a, as a smaller fintech going through. As well, as I said, as Batman, as a radio guy, as a lawyer, as a closet entrepreneur, you probably have the best perspective because that's something that I think all entrepreneurs realize. You have to run a business. I mean, you don't have to raise money. It would be magical if you didn't, but I don't think that happens that often. Uh, you know your view you you get you've definitely seen all sides of it right yeah you know i have to say uh this is a fascinating space um so part of the reason i i do what i do uh, which is uh, to run a, a law firm that focuses on you know really the early stage ecosystem as i as i call it uh is because i think it's the most exciting part of the game um, I've been, you know, like Niklesh, I've been in the corporate sector, worked for large multinational law firms, you know, with a thousand lawyers and, uh, you know, um, six um, flights of stairs within the office. <laughs> but I don't think it quite compares to um, the kind of excitement, the kind of, you know, the thinking you need to do in your feet if you're an advisor to startups as well. <clears throat> so a bit of background on myself, you know, I, 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 won't tell you anything about the Batman part because that's classified. But it has to be. Batman has to be classified. It would be no fun if you told us, right? Yeah, I think I have to get clearance for that. Okay. But uh, you know, professionally I, I, I run a law firm called Collier Law and and we're really focused on what I would call the cradle to exit. Um, you know, in terms of legal services, right? So, so we do everything from sort of company incorporation and thereafter the founder arrangements, you know, to help initial founders, you know, sort out, you know, what is this going to be about? What is, uh, why should we do this? You know, first of all, who has what responsibility? You know, when do we raise money? Who has responsibility? So essentially, it's very important to get that legal documentation out of the way. And then all through the various rounds of, of um, what I would call the phases of growth, right? Your first consumer contract, your first enterprise contract, your, uh, you know, rounds of financing, et cetera, so on and so forth. And and the view from, from there uh, is quite fascinating because, you know, as you say, every startup, uh, why why do they do this? Why do they leave those cushy jobs, you know, paying you, you know, fairly decent money uh, and, and go and do something that is, you know, very much in the realm of the unknown? Uh, I think it's because... Uh, what you can build and what you can create, right, is is sort of it's kind of like making a baby. You know, if I, if no I one's ever made a baby on radio before, let's go for this. 
you know, having the joy is quite something else, right? Uh, and, and that's part of the reason why people become entrepreneurs. The other aspect to this is you're not just making any baby, right? You're making a baby that's a hugely scalable baby. <laughs> you know, you're going from, I don't know, one employee and uh, or maybe like two founders in a garage and a, and a great uh, PowerPoint deck to a billion-dollar company, right? I mean, what could be more exciting than that in terms of your day-to-day, um, uh, you know, the, what you do on a day-to-day basis? There's nothing more exciting than that, in my view. Uh, and, and that is why, and that's why we have this radio show, right, Graham? That's yeah. just, just really to find out about stories. You know? and, and so you say it's that, you know, that magical dream to take something from one, you know, you, actually, two things. I'll pick up on your stair analogy later. Uh, I wonder how many startups have more than one flight of stairs. Well, maybe that can be the new telling point. Not, yeah, not how much you raise is how many flights of stairs. We're still on one level. Um, but, uh, Nikolesh, you know, why did you leave that corporate job? Like, hmm. you said you wanted, you had a small idea, you wouldn't do it, a billion dollar idea. I think you're right. What is it that makes you go across? I mean, I, maybe for me, uh, Sounds a bit strange, but it was a boredom. Uh, not with my job. I'd actually semi-retired. I had worked in finance for 20 years. I, I loved it. I'm not one of these people who hated finance. I had a great time. It was paid super well. It was an awesome experience. Actually, I was trying to be a consultant. Uh, I worked out that Ned at Ned Consultants is not very hireable. I know how that feels. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, Ned may be at a KPMG or an EY. It may have been more hireable. I didn't know. And then I saw a lot of young guys. You know, everyone's young when you're 51. Uh, in startup world doing stuff. I was like, wow, I'm not doing much. I should have a go. So, and I didn't have a burning desire to, well, actually now I think I did have a burning desire to build a billion dollar company because I want to. But what was it that was it? I don't know. Tell me. I think for me, it was uh, a mix of a couple of reasons. First is, is something that, that you mentioned, not really boredom, but this feeling that you're not really living up to your potential. I mean, we, we were good at what we did and that's where, you know, we are where we are here. But, uh, you know, you come to office at nine and by four-ish, you're done with what you have to do and you kind of trudge along, take six. But what you really want to do is have that fire in the belly that even at eight o'clock, somebody has to remind you, hey, aren't you supposed to go home? And that fire had kind of died out. So that was, that spark was missing. And uh, the second thing was this little void inside, which came from a little under a decade in financial services, which was that, hey, you know, I can, I can tell everybody what's wrong with their business. And I can poke holes and I can tell others how to dress up their business and get a better better valuation. But I can't really take this pen and sell it to someone on the streets. I have never gone to Ikea and bought the first bunch of desks and chairs for my office. Or, uh, you know, I mean, I I really don't know how to go and buy a printer and hook it up and get it working and negotiate that sales agreement with Canon. I still can't get the printer to work. Isn't it remarkable when you realize as a startup, somebody say, what's your biggest pain? I'm like, exactly. Like sometimes the little things, right, are so painful. No, absolutely. And, you know, in fact, uh, my biggest takeaway from the podcast is going to be Azmul's reference to Batman. I think I'm going to use the line somewhere saying that, you know, I'm going to be the entrepreneur, not that the sector deserves, but that the sector needs. (laughs) (laughs) We need Batman. Absolutely. Um, Well, maybe I'm going to turn it on his head. So why are you still a lawyer? If you could be an entrepreneur and you think it's so magical, uh, and don't worry, I don't mean that in a harsh way. I fully understand. I must admit. So I am still a startup. I'm a startup guy. Uh, my wife, who I love very much, asks me every day, how's, how's work? <laughs> and I'm like, it's fun. She said, well, I hope so. You're not getting paid. <laughs> and it, if, it, if it was no fun and I'm not getting paid, then that would be a bad deal. Like you said, Niklesh, that fire in your belly. It's eight o'clock. You're still doing it. It's, and, and momentum is awesome. So I'm fully cognizant of, of why you should be in a corporate job. And, and we should also talk about the pain of the reality of, of not getting paid and, oh, yes. and all of that as I well. I think it's romanticized a lot more than, or, or, you know, the struggle is really kind of hidden behind the scenes. Absolutely. But maybe what, what could we do to tempt you? Not that I'm trying to get you to, uh, <laughs> do a startup, but what, what is it that you think would, would suddenly make you do it? Or yeah. I mean, you have a really good understanding of it, right? Yeah. Uh, no, so to be honest, Ned, in a way, we uh, we uh, I mean, what I'm doing is the closest to being a startup while still sticking to what you know best, which is the practice of law. Um, because you know, I set up my own firm after you know, 15 years of making other people rich. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it, after having worked, uh, I think in in three countries, I and mean, that, that was that was a thing for me. You know, so I, when I finished working. 
uh, as a lawyer in three countries and large law firms, uh, you know, I realized actually there's a lot that is missing with, mm. with this ecosystem, with, with, with the legal services. And it's, it's the professional services sector. And it's, it's, it's remarkably difficult to disrupt. You know, let me say this while, while I'm, you know, on, on radio, uh, because, uh, you know, it's not very scalable. Right. To be completely honest with you, what you're really buying um, when you buy a lawyer's services or, you know, for that matter, uh, a management consultant services is you're buying time and expertise. And it's not something that you could, um, you know, sort of write code for and make it a hugely scalable business on a platform. Uh, I'd love to do it. You know, I'm still working on that. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's not hugely scalable. But this is the closest that we come to. Uh, being an entrepreneur, when you when you found a firm, when you found a law firm, you know, as an organization, we have the same challenges that a startup does. Uh, you know, when it, when it comes to you know finding co-founders, other people to join you on this journey, you know, to be a director, a partner of the law firm. Uh, when it comes to hiring good talent, you know, young lawyers, you know, always uh, there's always a shortage for good talent. I yeah. think, in my view, <clears throat> whatever the sector is, and you know, our challenges are no different. Uh, and then, and then the question of you know what's your business model, right? I mean, we can't we can't change the business model, uh, and, and we we come you know, we come across so many companies that have such remarkable business models that you know I'm I'm jealous sometimes because I, we can't really we can tweak it we can use technology in a way that makes us more efficient, which enables us to do you know probably more in less time, but we can't suddenly go uh, you know we don't need a bank. What we need is, you know, a fintech company that's providing remittance services or, you know, that's giving you, providing you the access to uh, small loans through a peer-to-peer lending platform and doing robo-advisory in your case. Yeah. Um, but I think what's exciting is the journey. And and this is what, you know, I'm going to throw the question back to Nicholas because I think the journey and, uh, uh, you know, what you learn through the journey. One of my favorite um, all-time, you know, um, quotes is life's not a destination, right? It's the journey that matters. And, and I think this is what, you know, kind of brings in the founders and kind of keeps them there because they're, you, you're still, as long as you're on the journey and you haven't reached, you know, where you want to reach, that's what keeps you going. Would you agree? No, absolutely. In fact, uh, every now and then I have, you know, old classmates from business school or, or friends from the cricket league who, who pick your brain saying, hey, what's it really like? Because it's not the same as reading Steve Jobs' autobiography or, or reading Jack Ma's quote. I mean, you know, those guys are, I mean, Jobs is obviously in a different world, but they're, they're, they're in a different league. Sometimes you want to pick somebody's brain who's just three, four years ahead of you, who's just starting up saying, what's it really like? And, and sometimes they, they ask me, you know, just give me one single takeaway. And my one single learning or, or my suggestion to them is forget everything else. If you can handle the constant ups and downs, which sometimes happen every week, which sometimes happen every day, in the morning, you know, there's a new contract coming your way, you think you're going to change the world, you've, you've arrived on the scene, and in the evening when, when it disappears or something else or a new fire crops up and, you know, you, you begin to wonder why am I doing this in the first place, or when you see friends' Facebook posts of that exotic driving holiday you know, in, in the in southern france and all you can do is do a staycation in bogus <laughs> <laughs> that is another thing we're going to take away from this the new startup staycation in bogus so mm. if, if you can manage all of this and still come out smiling then then that's it this is for you it's an interesting point right so people talk a lot about so what are we trying to do here so have fun uh, create i mean i i talk about this all the time we're not you know we want to make a valuable company that generates profit. And people are like, oh, but what's your mission? I'm like, it's to build a profitable company. No, 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 what's your mission? And I keep coming back to that. I want to build great technology. I want to make my customers happy. I want to make my clients happy. I sometimes think, as you say, about being romantic about it. Look, ultimately, I'm making an assumption, the staycation boogers, you might like to branch out, start with Jurong, move on, <laughs> get a little bit further. One day you'll be in Paris too, right? I, but, but That's I, where funding changes your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't spend all the funding on this on the on the vacation in Jurong, all right? That'll be a that'll you be... might have a different kind of problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but I think there is, and and maybe to come back to your to, to actually both of your points, like mm-hmm. actually maybe I was too harsh to say why don't you do a startup? You did a startup. It's it's funny that law firms are not maybe they're the ultimate startup, right? They were mm. a partnership. Yeah. They were a group of people who came together. 
But it's the, to me, and maybe we should also come back to fintech as well and the particular areas of that. But it's the business model. What is it? Like we all want to be cash flow prof, uh, uh, positive, right? We all want to be able to have a business that you come in every day and, and more's coming in. Maybe it's a question to both of you, but I mean, I would say the legal model of generating cash is maybe not scalable, but it's clear. Let's charge out people. I mean, maybe in the clash from yourself is, you know, in that journey, you know, how obviously it's incredibly important, but how much do you put effort on that as composed to raising money to build a business, right? And you need both. And that, for me, that's that constant battle, right? You need money to build, but you should be able to stand on your own two feet, right? You're, you're growing up. No, absolutely. In fact, you know, I'll, I'll share a slightly different perspective on it. Um, I know a lot of people talk about raising money and how difficult it is for startups. Just being from that industry, raising money came to us very easy. In fact, it came to us easier than what it should have. Um, and, you know, I'll take that as a second question. But I love I love that thought around the business model. And everything, you know, I look at, I have, unfortunately, a very academic view of life. So whenever we're looking at internet-based business models, there are just two kinds. Either you're doing something that has never been done before, or you're doing something that has been hashed out pretty well, but you're putting your own spin on it. And if you look at peer-to-peer lending, you know, the online lending business model that, that we do, it's been around for a decade. So unless we do something unique with it and keep on innovating, somebody else is going to eat our lunch even before we know it. Oh, it uh, I used to work for a guy. He had a phrase, never knowingly an original idea. I really liked it. He said, but I will do it better and quicker every time. But look at Rocket, right? That's what Rocket did, right? They take business models and they do it better. And, uh, well, I mean, I don't know how much better you can do law. I assume you guys do it as good as it can be done. Yeah. But uh, in terms of the startups that you look at, yeah. I mean, Nikolaj's point is right. Either do it first or do it better. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And, you know, uh, just coming back to fintech, I mean, be as a law firm, you have a, probably one of the uh, most active fintech practices and come across all kinds, you know, within the fintech sector, uh, everything from, uh, you know, peer-to-peer lending and robo-advisory, which is you know, the year two gens, but also, you know, cryptocurrency. Uh, we have remittance plat- uh, platforms that are, you know, really, really disrupting. I'll give you an example. Um, a normal bank, multinational bank, which I'll go unnamed, uh, charged me roughly 7.5% um, when I remitted funds from SGD into, you know, INR. Um, and then I found that the startup, which is one of our clients, uh, and we use their service. Do you know what? I mean, I was charged the sum total of $10 for that particular uh, transaction. And, and I won, and I wondered, you know, that got me thinking because as a lawyer, we have to study business models. Mm. And because, you know, we draft the language and the legalese around that business model. So you have to understand it. And I, and I was trying to figure out why is it that a fintech company is able to do this, you know, um, but the bank, which is providing the same service, is just not able to. And, and I came, I came to the realization that uh, banks are probably right. I'm probably going to get um, a lot of flack over this, but banks are pr- not very good at doing uh, being agile, right? At sort of being nimble and and um, really pushing the envelope when it comes to doing something non-traditional. Okay, let me give you a simple example, which is linked with, you know, legal execution of documents. Um, most banks and financial institutions will not accept e-signatures. <laughs> this is a big, uh, you know, obviously a bugbear with a lot of, lot of, you know, clients in general. But anytime you have to deal with the bank, they'll want to see an original copy, even though, you know, electronic signatures have been part of the law sure. for, you know, close to a decade. Now, why is that? It's, it's just because they're these large, you know, very unwieldy um, organizations uh, that just have to keep the status quo, you know, to some extent. Well, maybe, but also, uh, again, as uh, it sounds like we all like phrases and, uh, you know, uh, not just banks, but all big companies. You put enough good people in a room and bad things come out. Mm-hmm. I love the direction in which this conversation is going. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not that it's bad people in a room. You don't put bad people in a bad thing. You put a 50,000 good people in a room and bad things come out because it's really hard to make 50,000 good people. That's why startups are super cool and amazing because, you know, it's like we have, well, we have 33 people now. It feels like it grew a lot because we had 10 people just a few months ago. But we all sit on two long benches, right? And we're all jammed together in a few hundred square feet. And if we need to do something, we do it. And I think your point is right, is that, uh, you know, the big organizations, it's unwieldy. It doesn't change. I mean, like, unless you're building, 
you know, what's, I mean, I think the word unwieldy would not be used around what you're trying to build, right? You're starting from the point to make it as easy as possible, right? No, absolutely. So, you know, coming back to what I was saying is the P2P industry started about a decade back. So the companies which started the business model are worth billions today. And hence, they are not really startups anymore. They are the corporations that we so like to bash. So hold on, when when do you stop becoming a startup? Oh, very interesting question. On your journey, are you still a startup? Yes or no? So I tried to research this topic because firstly, I didn't understand who was a startup and what does it take to qualify to become a startup. And I found out there is no industry definition. I mean, Mm -hmm. Uber is a startup at, I don't know, 70, 80 billion dollars of valuation. We are a startup and we are, I don't know how many decimals you got to add to that valuation before you get to us. So who, who remains a startup? And the best definition I could dig up on the internet was a startup is a company that changes its business model and grows so fast that the processes they built yesterday need to be broken down and rebuilt today. Mm -hmm. And as long as that applies to you, you are a startup irrespective of whether you are five people, 5,000, 500,000. Wow. That's an interesting because we've been going through the journey of should we, that sounds so uh, too much hubbery, should we stop calling ourselves a startup because (laughs) we got bigger? Because but then I realized, like like you said, Niklash, someone's like, no, no, no. Because what do you call yourself? Uh, we're a growth stage. Mm. What does that mean? Right? Where is it on your journey? Oh, we're a corporate. Oh, no, no, don't call yourself that. Right? So then you're left in this place whereby I like that definition because it is part of the journey. I mean, there's lots of other things. You know, do you get paid? Yes, no. You know, ha- ha- do you have your own offices? Yes, no. You know, how is your cash flow? Yes, no. All that yeah. type of stuff. I, I have a couple of um, thoughts to add on that. So I think when once once you go beyond, you know, like, pure unfunded startup which is i think what most people's you know romantic illusion is about a startup you know you're you're two guys in a garage you're scraping together you know sort of having uh i don't know take it takeaways uh for dinner uh there are there are terms that are used for uh you know the following stages and obviously uh one is the the whole thing about calling it um you know with reference to the series that you've you've raised, right? So you're a series A startup, series B startup. I think you're series C or series D. I think most people understand you know, what that means, you know, in terms of your valuation, in terms of obviously very much based on sector. But for fintech, you know, if you're series C or series D, that means that you're well into being valued in, in at least the hundred million, uh, you know, if not more. Uh, but I think the other like really popular term that I I particularly like is uh, once you've scaled up, and this is one of the fundamental features of a startup, you know, you, as a startup, you can't be a cottage industry. I mean, you know, if you're making uh, model airplanes or, uh, you know, sort of, uh, I don't know, some other craft, right? You can never be a startup. You're, you're just a, you know, entrepreneur doing something by the side. A startup has to be fundamentally scalable. And, and what, what do you mean by scalable? Put some money, get, put some great ideas, get some people and, you know, suddenly the value shoots up, you know, very, very geometrically, right, as opposed to arithmetically. Uh, and therefore, the term that, that's come into, you know, common sort of usage uh, is scale up. Hmm. So Interesting. if you're beyond a few, uh, you know, a, a few rounds, certainly, certainly you, you're a scale up, you know, you're not quite a corporate. Uh, and, and you're never going to be a corporate. Uh, you're, never, you're never really going to be the incumbent. The moment you become the incumbent, you're not a startup anymore. So answer your question, Niklish, I think that's when you stop being a startup. Because when you're number one, then there are other people, you know, sort of clipping into your heels. But isn't that what you want? Like, you know, if somebody said you can build a company and be number one in your space, how many people are going to go, no, I don't want to do that? No, but what if your space itself is too small? So the pace at which the space is growing is huge. So then, you know, the definition of space keeps on changing. So today, as an online lending platform, we are number one in Singapore. Mm-hmm. But then the online lending industry is just so small. So do we just compete amongst our little group or do we try and, you know, slowly nibble away at, at what the banks are leaving behind? Uh, it depends what you're doing it for. So maybe and that's something I've talked with Graham a lot about is we both like triathlon and running. Like, and in, in, in a little world in Singapore, I can beat quite a few of the people and I feel super good about that. I go in the big world and I get my backside handed to me because I'm not so quick. I, Quite quite happy coming back to Singapore and learning and growing and gradually moving up. But it's, I think it's a, uh, you know, what what is the journey you're on? So what are you trying to do? Are you trying to build a billion dollar company? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, just just finishing off what we started. So we looked at online lending across the world. We saw a lot of people had done a lot of interesting things in the U.S. and the U.K. and China, built businesses which were a billion dollars. 
given we were a decade behind, we had to do something smart. So we tried to pick out the best ideas that each of them had, put them together into a business model. Then let's try and apply that to Asia. Because a lot of what you did in the US and the UK or even China does not apply to Southeast Asia. And Singapore is a fantastic little test tube baby in which you can come apply those ideas in a controlled way, build a playbook, and then let's try and apply that playbook all over Southeast Asia. So that is where we are. We took our first three years to find our feet, get that unique business model going. We've just started our operations in Indonesia. We go live hopefully in three weeks, apply the playbook there. And the moment we are sure that, yes, you know, the strategy works, the playbook is ready, then we try and replicate across all of Southeast Asia. And so we've uh, both of you have mentioned about babies. So to continue that, I sometimes say that for bamboo, we feel like a teenager, 15, 16, 17 years old. We still live in a co-working space, so we're still at home. Uh, we have to go out and find our own feet by getting an office, which we will be doing do I want to be 80 and old? Not really. I kind of always want to be that uh, 15, 16 year old. But the problem is when you're 15 or 16, I have an 18 year old daughter. You know, you don't, you think you know everything, but you really, really don't. May I ask in startup world, how old are you, Niklesh? Oh, we would love to be the Peter Pan of the startup world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as a company, we're three years old. But uh, if you look at the business model, I would say early teens. Yeah. Yeah. There I mean, is, there's just so much to learn, so far to go. And I think maybe as more, you've seen a lot of these companies mm -hmm. as they, you know, uh, I did some investment in a lot of, I did a lot of angel investment earlier, uh, a few years ago. Uh, I realized that angels just do it from the gut and mm -hmm. make this person. He's awesome. Let's give him some money. Uh, I hope my one in 10 returns because, uh, that feels like it, what it's going to be. Well, you have this, you see mm. like series A, series B. How does it affect people? How does it change people? Maybe, as uh, uh, you can give us some parental advice as two teenagers uh, sitting in front of you. What do we, and I think Niklesh, I mean, we're, we're just, you know, in our series A, you're maybe done series A towards series B. What yeah. should we expect as we, as we grow up and uh, realize we become scale up and then yeah. we become number one in the world at what we do, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. So I think I, I want to spend a couple of minutes on, uh, you know, before my advice and a couple of minutes okay. on why I think also FinTech is, is growing so fast. I was going to say a couple of minutes parental advice before, you know, as your parents always do, setting the scene. Setting the we'll scene, listen. Right. Uh, in, and, and this has a lot to do with regulators, right? And I think that's, that's partly why, um, you know, our advice as lawyers is always to, to get the legals right, but also be very, very mindful about your business model and how that interplays with regulation. Um, in Singapore, you know, MAS is fantastic. I mean, they're just really pragmatic, you know, pretty proactive about things. You know, there's a sandbox, um, you know, which is now being created for, um, you know, startups that, that you know, don't really want the full force of regulation to apply to them from day one. So, you know, it's like a little kid playing in a, you know, having a lot of, uh, you know, young people <laughs> analogies. So I'm giving you another one, a little toddler playing in a sandbox and you know, safe knowing that his parents are watching over him that that is what you need to have this ecosystem develop and to grow and to mature um and and once once you've found your feet you know i think uh there is very little um yeah, that that you can't do you know because singapore is just such an excellent platform i mean validus is going into indonesia now several of the other clients that we're advising have sort of already gone regional they're they're looking at them, literally global ambitions. I mean, in certain areas, I think that certainly is very possible because the, the power of the internet uh, enables that uh, to some extent. We're not brick and mortar businesses if you're doing fintech. The other big thing is uh, blockchain, right? Which is probably going to be a separate session, Graham's Absolutely. nodding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but that that is fintech as well. It's part of fintech. In fact, it's such a big part of fintech, we decided to have a separate show on it. Um, but my advice is going to be keep your eye on what the goal is. And as your business model evolves, keep an eye out for what the regulatory, you know, stuff is going to throw up. Because at the end of the day, it's any business. Uh, if you're dealing with consumers, if you're dealing with um, sort of, you know, other, other large corporates or smaller players, you will always need to make sure that you're compliant with the law, whether it comes to your sort of commercial contracts that you're entering into, or whether it comes to just pure play regulation. And, 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 and that's why, uh, it, it's just super important to uh, get your lawyers on pretty early. Right? You're doing a great pitch for the legal business here. Yeah. Right? I don't think lawyers are ever going out of business, right? 
Well, I would hope not. <laughs> <laughs> no, in fact, you know, just just adding on to that, that's why fintech is also so interesting. A lot of people ask us, why does fintech attract so much VC investment? And the answer is, unlike a lot of other sectors, here you are standing close to the mouth of the waterfall, which is the money. So the odds are, if you do things right, you will catch a few of the drops. But then, you know, building on, on the challenges around regulations, if you're not careful, it's very easy to just drown also. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, so we all know that building a startup is really, really, really hard. At the moment, I think it's just really hard. Uh, the, the environment in Singapore, the fact that the banks know that different things are coming, whether it's B2C or B2B, I think there's never been an easier time. That doesn't mean it's easy, right? And I think now, and and I think there is so much in fintech, there's so much possibility right now. I mean, as you say, to be global, we we have a client going live in Brazil. They contacted us out of Brazil, said, can you help us? We were like, yeah, sure. Hey, I'm a startup, right? Somebody says, we'd like to pay you to do something and they want to use them. Now we have clients in Brazil, we have clients in America, we have an office in London, we have clients. But, you know, because we're B2B, we're serving them from an API library where people are calling our APIs. Uh, we don't have to deploy on-premise, so that means we don't need to pay for data centers. I'm not the tech guy. My co-founder, Aki Rannan, is the tech guy. I've always worked in tech, but I, I know how to sell it. I know what it does, but I don't build it. Three to five years ago, I could not have started my business. Mm. The costs to host everything that I do, the banks wouldn't have been where they are today. You know, we have 11 clients today and literally in the last five to six months, we've seen so many banks, like you say, the waterfall is coming of people wanting to do it. And I, uh, the, the, the biggest pain that I see for many startups here is this build it and they will come approach. I'm such not a believer in that. No one's coming. For all of you listening out there, no one's coming. Mm-hmm. You have to go and get them. And uh, it's, it's an area I'm super passionate about is how do you sell? How do you scale? How do you get your message I mean, we are talking about fintech, and I think you're right. The waterfall right now, you got to stand at the bottom with a huge bucket and wave and catch, but you should also be helping the water. I mean, yeah, I absolutely. Know. In fact, you know, one of the most used and abused words in startup world is disrupt. Everybody is trying to disrupt something, mm-hmm. and and we just hate using that word. So we are not disrupting anything. We are not trying to eat the bank's lunch. We're just trying to fill a gap that did not exist using technology as an enabler. Mm. And, and you know, coming back to my favorite topic, which is how banks don't move fast enough. We are actually partners with one of the largest banks in the world, uh, co-lending with them to some of the customers that they wouldn't lend to otherwise. And the irony is that we went live a little over a year back. It's a hugely successful partnership, but I can't even use their name on this podcast because compliance hasn't cleared it yet. Yeah. This is, uh, this is so, uh, and, and honestly, my favorite word is profit. Uh, I love to use it. I always get laughed at at conferences. They're like, no, how do you disrupt? I'm like, no, we're not, I'm not, you know, disrupt doesn't pay the bills. And in the same token, so you can't mention it, but it's been hugely beneficial for your business model. And uh, no, Absolutely. So we believe that fintech is, is a very unique area because you're not really doing something that didn't exist. Mm. I mean, lending has existed, I think, since the dawn of mankind. We're just trying to do it in a different way make it accessible to those who didn't have access to it and use technology. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, we need to partner with the banks and other incumbent financial institutions. Um, and every bank that we pitch to or FI loves the idea that we bring to the table and we tell them, great, when do we start? And the answer is very soon. And the only problem is for us very soon means tonight or tomorrow morning. And for them, it probably means, yeah, let's come back in, in a year or so. But I would counter that to say it's quicker than it's ever been. Which I, I agree. Which I know might feel a little depressing at times, but we mm. definitely, we definitely feel it's quicker than it's ever been, even though it's still a huge amount of time. I think even three to five years ago, if we started five years ago, I think it would be so long we would probably give up. Um, I mean, as well, you see these contracts coming. Is that your impression as well that the speed for these deals is getting quicker? The pain is, you know, I, so I'm a software business uh, where I have three goals. That's it. First two years, prove people want to buy what you do. So we have 11 clients today. It works. Next two years, deliver. So deliver software that works. Goal number three, get 10 million a year of recurring revenue. Because then if the fintech tide goes out, I have enough money in my boat that I don't get washed out with it, right? So three stages there. The quicker I can make that happen, the better. Because at some point, the fintech tide is going to go back out, right? No doubt about that. Yeah. As you, you see it. You see deal. Obviously, you can't comment on particular deals. I get yeah. that. But what do you think? The, the, is, I, it, is it as good as it's ever been or is it getting better, worse? 
I, I think f- fintech is, um, you know, definitely, I mean, obviously one of the big, large sectors or segments, right, within the sort of startup early stage ecosystem. And it's here to stay. It's here to stay in, in, in many different ways. Um, and, and it'll continue to evolve. I mean, there'll be a point of time when a fintech company will sort of start calling, stop calling it a fintech company because every other company, uh, including the big banks will be using technology in such a way that, you know, they're all fintech. I think Lloyd Blankfein from Goldman Sachs says we're a tech company who happens to be in finance. Yeah. And, and this leads me back. I and mean, that's a good sort of, you know, lead into what I was going to say next because I wanted to bring, uh, you know, the listeners' um, attention back to when people started talking about fintech and you know, people really started um, finding a need for what fintech was doing. Uh, and this was probably just around the time of the GFC, the global financial crisis. And I remember, I don't remember who said this, but there was a guy who said, you know, we don't need banks, we need banking. Okay, <laughs> I know this is slightly controversial, but I'm going to ask you two gents, um, you know, as being in, in, in the fintech industry, I mean, I mean clearly you're, you're fairly B2B. Um, you, you, you definitely don't see yourselves as, you know, disrupting uh, what the banks are doing, but you see yourselves as, as, as complementing them, you know, in a way that uh, you best do through technology, clearly. But do you think this means that, you know, if, um, if the sector has to grow and if, if fintech has to become the incumbent, um, what's the future for the banks? I'm asking a slightly controversial question, but just put your, yeah, it's getting your thoughts out there. Um, no, absolutely. I mean, one, one crazy futuristic Mad Max version is that, I mean, why do banks need to have branches? Or, or the other way is why do banks need to provide services that they are not very well equipped to mm. provide? So why not just become a physical presence and become a marketplace for other people to provide services? So you've done the hard work. You've got all these branches. You've got all the tellers. You've got the network. And then let people like Validus come and provide our services there within a well-regulated, constrained environment. Hmm. I, well, I would also say that I think it's so, you know, we're in the robo space. So we go to banks and say, look, we can build beautiful tech to sell your products. You know, banks historically are not great at building tech. Hmm. They're amazing at building financial products. So we get that. But if we look at China, all these different places, whether it's an Alibaba or it's a Tencent, it's been very clear that the distributors are distributing more banking services. So more savings, more investment, more peer-to-peer lending. If I was a bank, I would say this. I'm like, let's partner with every new distributor there is. Mm. And I say this with all due respect, all the way from a Validus Capital that's new to a Alibaba, to a Tencent, to an Uber, to a Grab, to a whoever it might be. So I think the future of the bank is the provider of the product and not the distributor anymore. Mm-hmm. I think your Mad Max of no pro- of no uh, ATM, no branch. I have an eighteen year old daughter. Like she, she, she's super confused by my you know determination to give her physical cash to. Like like not only is she not going to a bank, she finds it amusing that I would take. So she's going to university in America, and she's like, we're like you have to go to the bank to sign up, and uh, she has a friend a year above. She's like, no, he just had an Apple credit card and. They never went to the bank. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to Wells Fargo or City or whoever it might be. So I think this dystopian Mad Max future is actually... Uh, no, it's a simple question. When was the last time you went willingly to a bank branch? Well, now you see, now you're being unfair. Willingly. <laughs> when, no, you what know, I meant is you would always choose to do it online if sure, you could. Sure. It's just so much more efficient. But, but you know, to be fair to the banks, if you look at how good online banking is today compared to even mm-hmm. three to five years ago, yeah. it has improved massively. It's mm. still, I mean, is banking ever meant to be fun? Mm. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's part of the problem, no, right? I mean, sorry. Maybe, maybe I didn't put it correctly. It <laughs> wasn't about the fun part. It was about the convenience. True. Yep. Yep. I, you know, I think it's, uh, uh, we sit in a incredible place. It's small. Mm. It's incredibly well run. Uh, I don't know. And Graham, you're, you're about to move here and open a bank account. So you'll find out how easy it is <laughs> or is not. So, uh, you'll do it. But I, I, I come from Scotland, even though I don't sound it. And there's been outrage in the little village that my parents still live in. The banks moved, Ooh. right? And there's only maybe a thousand people in the village. The bank's gone. The nearest one is now Edinburgh. It's like 30, 40 miles away. And it's, you know, it's a difficult scenario because a lot of people there. And so we, we live in a legal system where fintech should be. This should be, as you say, the test tube baby. This is where it should happen mm. because we can all live without a bank here, you know? What happens if all the banks close tomorrow? I think we would survive. I think there would be outrage. It's like, so in India, when they took the banknotes away, yes, mm. there was outrage, right? 
And now it you, works. You, you can see the effect that it has caused, you know, I mean, it's expedited the entire digital revolution and payments. Mm. Yeah, I think it would uh, it would work from from that side. But uh, maybe yeah. maybe coming back to another one of the topics that, you know, uh, funding. Ah. So we'd you know, love to get some perspective sure. on, on experiences in funding and, and what have you guys seen from your own experience. So uh, one thing I've found is you're either cool or you're not. And when you cross the line, you're really cool. And when you're on your other side of the line, you're really not cool. And no amount of saying you're cool will prove anybody you're cool. Uh, but when you're cool, and, and and what does cool mean? I, hey, look, I've never been cool. I understand that. But maybe it's the wrong word. But when you are, what's the right word? A, a desirable place for people mm. to invest in, you can see. And what does that take? Revenue and funding. So my experiences have been angels invest because they like or love you. They believe in you. Mm-hmm. Uh, VCs invest for a return. Strategics invest because they want to be part of you. And they're all different, all different parts of it. But uh, my experience has been, it took us a long time to be cool. Uh, and then when we finally worked out that if you have global aspirations, you have, so we have multi-millions of revenue now. We have a team of people who uh, no one's ever, well, actually one person just left us, but we had 33 people and no one ever left us. Uh, and we have a, a global client base. All of a sudden, it was like, oh, right, you're cool. And we stepped over. Uh, that would mean my single experience of funding is for whoever you are, find out what that cool point is and get to it as quick as possible. Yeah. The, the, the interesting thing is, uh, you know, that, that's not very different from, you know, being in Hollywood, right? <laughs> you're either cool or you're not. So at the end of the day, it, it's being bankable. I think that's what he's mm-hmm. saying, right? You're, you're bankable as a star. You're bankable, if, you know, you will pull in. Uh, the millions to watch that movie it becomes a super hit. So as a founder, you know, you kind of have the same, um, you know, the same sort of status, right? In, in the investor's mind, whether that's an angel or whether that's a VC or that's going to corporate, right? They're, they're thinking, you know, team, very important, but, you know, do the founders also have the charisma and also have the ability to motivate the rest of the team uh, to make this really a bankable investment? I, I would agree with you there, absolutely, because I have seen... Too many good ideas, you know, with some brilliant PowerPoint presentations going waste because, you know, the founders haven't been charismatic enough. The founders haven't been able to communicate, you know, the story and, and the value proposition in a way that sort of has the moviegoers queue up. <laughs> but, 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 but and you're right. It's, there are some great ideas out there that got, probably got nowhere. And, uh, I mean, Nikolesh, you said you found money raising too easy. Yeah, I think we we just got lucky because like what we were discussing a while ago, fintech is just hot right now. Yep. And for a reason, the opportunity yep. is there. And, you know, I mean, I, I have been in the private equity world all my life. So if you look at how VCs operate, there are three basic areas, right? Is the opportunity big enough? I mean, if you do it right, can it be mm-hmm. worth a billion dollars? Does the business model have a thing to it? Are you doing something which is different or is it just another me to start up? And third and most importantly... Is this the team which can get it done? You know, like Asmul said, you can have you know the best ideas on a PowerPoint presentation, but then can you get it done? And that's why you know we are never afraid to share our ideas because hey, if you can do it better, then maybe you should be the one doing it and not us. Yeah. So we we had the three pieces of the jigsaw together and uh, Vertex, which is which is Tamasix VC arm, uh, were looking to invest in a startup in this space, and they reached out to us. It was uh, it was a cold introduction. Um, they reached out to us. They are the only fund we ever pitched to. And wow. uh, we were lucky. We just closed with them and they've been absolutely one, fantastic. You did one pitch and got it? Yes. You got to a 100% strike rate on raising money? <laughs> yeah. But that was Series A. I'm okay. sure Series B. You might have to call two people for Series B. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we, we just started the roadshow for Series B, but uh, but the interest is right. But then we can see how the goalpost keeps on moving. For Series A, it was just about having the right team in the right place doing the right thing. But for Series B, stories don't work anymore. So mm-hmm. now we need to show the numbers. We need to show that, hey, that the pitch book or that playbook that I was talking about, it works. Yeah. It works in Singapore. It may work in Indonesia and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And so so my my, my previous comment about, um, you know, sort of having that story and that, that, that initial, are you bankable or not, that that's for Series A, that's, that's for your first, like, major institutional round of funding. Uh, obviously, there's a stage before that as well. And, you know, we sort of did cover it in as much detail, which is what I call the 3F round, right? And the 3Fs are friends, family, and, you know, fools uh, who who could, you know, they could 
strike it big. They could basically, um, you know, come up with a money spinner if they got their, um, you know, sort of instinct right. Uh, with that, with that group of people, what's been your experience? And I'll tell you mine. What's been your experience with them continuing to be invested uh, as you raise further rounds of funding? You know, do they uh, do they sort of exit? You know, is it a secondary sale that happens when all these groups of small investors are scooped out, and you know, maybe the next Series B investors is buying that stake so that the founders' equity doesn't dilute. Or, and what would you prefer as, as founders, you know, yourselves? Because I, I see that as a important part of the ecosystem. If you didn't have those angels, if you didn't have that ability to raise a little bit of money, you know, just to prove the business model, right, that this works, um, we wouldn't have the sort of ecosystem that we have today. Yeah. So what's your view on that? Um, I, so the three Fs, I, I love that phrase. Uh, I have been the fool relentlessly. <laughs> Uh, on the other side of deals, uh, uh, and I'm an optimistic fool. You always believe the next one is the one, mm. right? And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll get a couple right. Uh, from my perspective, being the fool, I want to stay to the end because if I want to get it right, I want to get it all the way right, uh, is generally what I said. So before I started Bamboo, when I finished my financial career, had a couple of years, just invested, put a bit of money in a range of different startups. I definitely, so, you know, most of them, the decision will be out of my hands. They will uh, disappear and uh, the money will be gone. That's always an easy decision. You do nothing because you got it wrong. I think if you're getting it right, I think the overwhelming belief, because I think most angels, friends, families are fools, are doing it, not just for the return. I think they're doing it for the belief, the dream, the story, the ego, the, I stayed the whole way, right? Mm -hmm. I stayed the whole way. So, I would say on my experience being on that side of it, so far for Bamboo, all of our original investors have stayed. Uh, we're, you know, just finalizing the Series A. Uh, they're all going to stay as well. I get the feeling from all of them that they want to see this through to the end. So my experience has been they have been people who, who want to stay with you. That's been mine. Mm-hmm. Niklesh? No, absolutely. I think for starters, uh, I have not found a better term. Uh, coined than angels and you know it resonates with with the value that they bring to early stage startups and founders um, quite the lifesavers my in fact uh, recommendation to a lot of early stage startups is to go to angels simply because the ease with which you can raise money uh, without a lot of handcuffs Um, our experience like like yours has been great with angels you know the first bunch of uh, folks who came in were obviously all known to us um, and you know the the check came with basically no strings attached There, there was just some very basic valuation numbers and said, hey, just use the money wisely. And they put their trust in us. In terms of uh, who goes all the way, I think that's where we've been, you know, just just by, by having the right kind of monies with us, been very picky about the angels. So given that raising money was not that difficult, we, we wanted to make sure that we get the value add, which is, hey, you know, you're writing a big check, but how else can you help us with it? And we had a dozen or so angels who came with us along uh, on this ride and we figured out that there were some um, who've opened up their network or helped us with strategy um, or you know made the right connections but then there are those who've just been too busy to help out and those are the kind of folks that we encourage saying you know hey you've made a decent return on your investment why don't uh, you know you take an exit and allow us to bring in more folks who can add value in in our next journey or next stage of this journey so that's how we look at the churn I mean, look, I think that's the thing, whether it's A, or I haven't been a B, but A or C. If you can get somebody who can give you money and add value mm-hmm. and that you get on with, then the whole thing, that that's amazing, right? Yes. You know, that is... I mean, in the Silicon Valley, um, you know, uh, we spend a bit of time there, um, you know, some of the cross-border deals. Uh, I, I think most founders in the Valley aren't just interested in just pure money, right? It's, it's They're after smart money. Uh, they're after investors who will give them money, but who also at the same time are opening doors, you know, as making introductions or just giving you a huge piece of um, value add um, by essentially giving you perspective. They, they, if they know, for example, that something is going to go in a particular way because they've had experience you know, with it themselves or they've seen that, I think that value is just incredibly important at an early stage, you know, when you're you're still at the stage where you're experimenting and tinkering with things. Um, I mean, with, even with both your models, right, you might be quite uh, established in terms of business model, but you can never really, you know, 
um, sort of uh, shy away from the reality that you may need to change your model at some point of time when the next, you know, set of, uh, to use the word that Nikolesh doesn't like, disruptors, uh, come into, in, into the picture because that, that's always going to, it's going to be a point of time when somebody can do it cheaper and quicker and, you know, better than you guys. And the question is, what happens then, right? So it's that perspective is huge, uh, is hugely valuable. One of my, uh, personal missions as an advisor, you know, even though I advise on you know, legal, I'm only qualified to advise on legal, but I'd like to be an advisor for a lot of other things, you know, outside of legal, uh, because I think that just, that just comes from experience and it comes from seeing a lot of these things, um, go right, a lot of them go wrong. And, uh, you know, as, as you say, um, hindsight is, hindsight is, 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 is the wonderful, is a wonderful part a wonderful of it. Thing, yeah. And um, plus the money also comes with a number of writers along with it. And, uh, you know, there are some not so kosher angels who, who come with some really wacky term sheets and some of them, you know, you feel like just, uh, throwing it back in their face saying, Hey, I mean, how did you even think up with, think up of mm. this? So I think also as you go along the value chain, the bargaining power keeps on increasing where, you know, once you have more than one angel or investor, you know, then you can kind of figure out which are the real terms that you want to give in and, and give up. Yeah, look, it's important. In the end of the day, uh, you know, this phrase, uh, are you working for the man? Uh, you know, that's the corporate, right? And, uh, you know, you want to work for your own startup. That's part of it, right? You want to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And that's part mm. of, of the deal. I think we're starting to come towards the end of the time uh, here. Uh, Graham gave me that uh, famous little wind-up uh, emotion, uh, which uh, uh, hopefully I correctly interpreted as don't speak for another two hours. Um, but maybe just to finish a couple of last thoughts from both of you, Niklesh, uh, I'm not going to say, would you do this all again? Because uh, I think most entrepreneurs, even if it fails, would 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 say, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it again. Uh, maybe ask it in a in a in a slightly different way. So, sorry, how old are you, Niklesh? Uh, I'm 36. 36. So let's say you're 56. 20 years time, you look back, 56 year old guy. What are you going to tell yourself today, right now? If you could give yourself advice 20 years in the future to look back, because I know it's, we all believe we're doing the best thing we can do now, right? But what do you think is the best piece of advice you'd be able to give yourself in 20 years? Okay, I think this is a very personal question. So I think my advice would be just calm the hell down. <laughs> I think, you know, as, as an entrepreneur full of adrenaline, you're just trying to change the world, take on the world and you're fighting battles internal and external. And sometimes, you know, like we mentioned, you know, we're trying to partner with banks and big institutions, just calm down. It's all going to come. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's okay. If it happens the day after, just hold the post. I love that phrase. It's okay. It's not tomorrow. It's the day after, you know, <laughs> so we're going to solve everything by Wednesday. Okay. Thursday. All right, that's okay. That's perfect startup mentality, right? Absolutely. That's the way to do it. And as more, maybe something uh, a little bit different, uh, you know, the world disrupt and you, you have that unique, you're advisor, you're uh, legal, you have a whole range. It, is there anything, you know, that kind of more parent advice, uh, that, that overall piece of advice, again, to yourself, if you were going to launch a startup right now, and apart from the legal thing in the, in, in the tech side, what would, what would you say right now? Yeah, to people out listening as well, you have a unique way of looking at, because I think I was told something quite early on, work out why you're doing this. Because if you're building it to sell it one day, you must build it in the right way because you don't want to find yourself in five years day, five years time with a company that you can't sell anyway. Uh, so it, it was an interesting perspective, but maybe just a yeah. quick, quick bit of uh, parent advice to uh, see these teenagers on our way. Um, since you've, uh, framed it in that way, I'm going to say, don't forget the sunscreen. Uh, you know, being a parent myself, um, you know, you're always telling, uh, my two little boys that, uh, you know, get protection, right? Basically, yep. if you're out playing the sun, you might get, um, you know, yep. so it's good to get. And, and so to extend the analogy a little bit, you know, you, you never know, uh, when it's going to rain. So you must have an umbrella for for when it rains uh th this is both you know as an advisor where we where we talk about risks and we you know we help people to avoid and to manage and mitigate this risk maybe you can't eliminate it but you can certainly help manage and mitigate uh and that's why it's always good to go go prepared right think about all the alternatives that all the things that could happen and be prepared look that's that's super good advice and uh I think, you know, it, it's always good. I think we could sit and talk here uh, endlessly about uh, how we can do startups, what we're going to do. Uh, I'll hand over to Graham in a second to kind of take us, take us out. But 
and maybe some takeaways, uh, staycation in Bugis. Uh, once you get more money, move on to Jurong, uh, would be one point. Uh, calm down. You're getting a little bit excited. You can build your company in two days, not, not, not one day. Uh, uh, and, uh, you do it in the right way. Be protected. And I think Graham is a new benchmark. Uh, number of flights of stairs that startups yeah. have. Uh, Nikolesh, you're still on one floor. Is that correct? We are. Okay. Uh, uh, we are still on. We're still, I did go to a, one the other day that was in a shop house. So technically they had three floors. Uh, but, uh, when we find the six story startup, that will be the, uh, the, the Nirvana, right? I, I think it is a flight of fancy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Sorry about that. Yeah, I think taking away from both of those and following your advice, I'll probably take the stairs from tomorrow. Yes. We're on level seven. So I think I can okay. make it. Do, do you think there's like a there's like a, an interesting? I mean, it, it, it's funny about the stairs, but don't you think there's an interesting uh, story in there that that you know when, when people start a startup, one of, sometimes the the temptation. I'm sure you know you, you've gone through this this as well, and, and you know the temptation is to hire fast and to grow the business really fast and to get the nice office and you know your flight of stairs and you've made it and you've got the big plush you know you've got the slide and the ball pit and all that sort of stuff and it's really hard isn't it especially when you start your first startup or you're sort of early in that game is that the temptation to buy into that whole sort of like the symbols of success if you like Mm -hmm. you know I'm kind of the next Google and therefore I look like this and to sort of pull back a bit and just say okay just maybe we won't get the two floor office now and we're just kind of like we'll slum it a little bit because we'll sweat the assets and we'll sweat up yeah i'm just curious about that because you know you've all kind of got different perspectives as well but with, with yourself how are you finding that now you you've got well funded as a business and you're quite successful with your raise as well sorry i know we're going to end up but i'm just really curious because it's something that always is on my mind as well how, how have you sort of managed the discipline there and sort of held back a little bit and getting the ball pit I think without being racist to ourselves, we've been very Indian in our values right. there. So we really squeeze as much as we can out of every penny. I think the other difference is when you raise in your life cycle. So we raise money quite late. Mm. We didn't do any seed rounds or early stage rounds. So all of it was our, our own money. And when you're spending your own money, then of course, you know, you're very, very judicious about mm. how you spend it. So we're still out of the same office where we started our journey. We just moved um, to a bigger unit uh, down the corridor. We have this musky smell that kind of hovers around, but we're proud of it. It reminds us that we are a startup. We're we're close to our roots and got to make it big. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, uh, when I worked in finance, uh, you know, I was running a brokerage. They fly you business class. You mm-hmm. stay in Shangri-La in Four Seasons. And I was laughing the other day. I, I upgraded from Jetstar to Air Asia and felt pretty solid about that, you know, because the seats are a little bit bigger. Don't uh, get carried away now. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, and, you know, it is part of it. Like I just couldn't bring Did myself. You get the extra leg room. Is that actually? Like, I didn't because yeah. it was like fifteen bucks extra, and it was only to Jakarta. And I'm like, well, it's you know, you know. <laughs> you Although, were, you were tempted there. to use the board me first, weren't you? No. <laughs> well, actually, I came, don't tell the investors where. I know. The other day, I came back uh, super late. It was like a 10 p.m. flight from Jakarta. This was as far as I went. I noticed that in the in the seats with the extra leg room, uh, it was uh, it was empty, and for fifteen bucks. I could go there and I'd been like a four day trip. It was like a flight and it got delayed till like midnight. Wouldn't get much three in the morning. So I paid 15 bucks to be able to lie flat on three Air Asia seats. And, and I was even like, that's so why I paid PA because I thought, well, we shouldn't put that on the company. And you're like, I think in startup world, I get it. Some people buy the whole things, but you know, good for you. Good for you. Yeah, I'm sure your investors are, are proud to hear what you're saying. There. Yeah. I'm like, uh, I, you know, frequent flyer in Air Asia doesn't, uh, but you're right. There's no point, right? There's no yeah. point. Uh, going crazy i think it's harder if i was 21 and given x million dollars do i think i would go a little crazier i think i probably would but then you don't have the validation do you like when you're a bit older you feel a bit more comfortable and do that when you're 21 you're kind of like okay this is what i need to do because this is sure what everybody's measuring also what's the justification for that i mean you know i mean beer coolers sound really cool and if that is what it takes to attract talent then what happens if somebody maybe offers them champagne coolers Exactly. Wow. You started us thinking. Yeah. Mm. There you go. Hey, well, it's a real pleasure having you gentlemen in the studio today. And, and hopefully that was useful to the listeners. And I think it was a really sort of interesting insight into the other world of startups, the untold story of startup doom, if you like, or scale up world mm-hmm. as well. So I think it's fascinating as well. And, and hopefully I, what we want to do here with Pitch Deck is to share these stories to inspire people to, you know, really kind of understand what it's all about. Because, you know, there are people in the window seat 
who are thinking about starting businesses and, you know, doing all that. And they kind of hear these stories. And I think it's the stories that we hear, isn't it, that inspire us to go out and make change. And that's why I think we've got to get these stories out there. And it's been mentioned already. Like, you know, there are the big stories out there, the Jack Mars. And, but like you say, it's like, it's the guy who's three steps ahead of you, right? That's the one that really you get motivated by because you feel that's reachable. Jack Maher's a celebrity. And we talked about Hollywood, for example, today. But you see those Hollywood people and you think, oh, well, they're just superheroes, right? I know. We're back to superheroes today. <laughs> bring you back in as well. But I think, you know, thanks so much, gentlemen, for sharing your insights today. And hopefully you'll be back. No problem. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.